What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to this special edition of the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, the Green Nonprofit Show. You know going green is the right thing to do for the environment and your organization, but budgets are tight and knowing how to get started can be a mystery. This show provides the practical advice on going green you and your colleagues need. While each week the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart Radio Show provides advice on fundraising, board development, and social media, this special edition is all about helping you go green on a nonprofit budget. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, this show draws from experts around the world and his book, The Nonprofit Guide to Going Green, available on Amazon.com and at GreenNonprofits.org. Guests on the Nonprofit Coach The Green Show are leaders in their field who share tips and trade secrets for nonprofits. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. Remember, just like our weekly show, this is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Just click on radio. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of the nonprofit coach, The Green Show, Ted Hart. And welcome here to this special edition of the Nonprofit Coach, The Green Show. This is Friday, January 20th, coming to you live from the nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Bit of a chilly day and some bad weather on its way. For those of you who are new to the show, uh, as our intro stated, this is a live call-in show. We do invite you to call in and ask questions of our Page 2 expert. Uh, as we get to our page two, that means there is a page one. That's page one news. You can also join us over in the chat room. I see someone over in the chat room right now. You can also email me your questions at tedhart at tedhart.com. As always here on the Nonprofit Coach and here with The Green Show, we always start with page one news. I want to thank all of you who have emailed ideas for the Green Show. In particular, I want to thank Dr. Karen Weber, who is the Executive Director of the Foundation for a Green Future, uh, who has sent in information, asked us to remind everyone here of the Green Fest in Boston uh, that will be coming up this summer. Uh, the Boston Green Fest is organized by the Foundation for a Green Future as the region's largest multicultural environmental festival, the Boston Green Fest, celebrates the many ways that we can create a better world by greening our lives and our communities. You can find them at bostongreenfest.org and mark your calendars. Uh, they're going to be up in Boston uh, on August 16th through the 18th this year. Next up here on page one news, uh, we want to draw your attention to some wonderful work uh, that is being done up in Bozeman. Uh, the uh, nonprofit Greater Yellowstone Coalition has installed one of the largest solar arrays in Bozeman on the roof of its new headquarters. Uh, now, this, uh, uh, this is uh, one of the largest solar arrays in uh, the city, uh, so uh, we, we want to congratulate them. In the first year, they project that they will save $4,230 in electric bills. Uh, they now have a new 9,000-square-foot space. Uh, the nonprofit has been renting uh, a smaller space, so they're very excited about this, and we want to always draw attention to the wonderful work of nonprofit organizations. So continue to send in uh, your articles, your stories, and your success uh, in making your own nonprofit uh, go green. 
Next up here on the nonprofit coach, uh, we want to remind you of the work of the greennonprofits.org organization. Green Nonprofits certification process is what I specifically want to draw your attention to. It's a comprehensive process of evaluation and change. Each organization that seeks to become certified by Green Nonprofits is required to complete a certification application. You can do that either online or by downloading the application. They do ask that you not print it, obviously be environmentally uh, sensitive, because you can fill out the application even if you download it and then email it in rather than mailing it in for review. While each charity is different, each charity will earn 100 points by completing the required and elective requirements. Each path to certification is unique to each organization. This is not a cookie-cutter approach. You take all of the various options and you determine what is possible, what is best for your organization. By becoming certified, your organization, when combined with the efforts of others, will make a significant difference to help our environment. It's important that nonprofits join with for-profits and individuals who are looking to go green. And this gives you an opportunity to show your donors and supporters that your organization is part of the solution in helping helping grow um, the uh, uh, or combating the global environmental crisis. Check that out at greennonprofits.org. Click on certification. Next up here on page one uh, comes to us from Claire Maloney, uh, who is the lead green associate um, at Cornell University. Uh, last year, Duke University announced that it was awaiting LEED certification for its Cohen Residence Hall. The certification would make uh, Duke's 23rd LEED certified building. Duke's commitment to LEED is part of its climate action plan. What's really significant about this is that they are part of the American College and University Presidents Climate Commitment that has 672 uh, signatories as of the end of last year. This commitment requires signatories to take tangible action to reducing greenhouse gases. Uh, one suggested action is to establish a policy that all new campus construction will be built using LEED, at least silver standard or equivalent. Now, our position for nonprofit organizations is we're not looking to suggest that you have to spend a lot of money uh, to become a green organization. Uh, certainly, if you have the funds to be able to have your buildings uh, certified using the LEED standard, that's terrific. Um, but if you can't, again, we draw your attention to the green nonprofit certification program uh, that is principally about how you operate your organization, making significant changes across the board that add up to um, helping your organization show its serious commitment uh, to the uh, green nonprofit sector. That's what we have on page one today. We've got an excellent uh, page two guest, so I want to make sure that we give her lots of time today to help us understand how we can use the grants process to green our organizations uh, and uh, what, how we can uh, green our nonprofits. So let's head right on over to page two. <laughs> On this very special edition of the Nonprofit Coach, this is The Green Show, uh, and our uh, page two expert uh, today is uh, uh, Dana Goldstein, uh, who is the founder of Philantech, which develops web-based applications for nonprofit sector and has worked for venture philanthropies, including Ashoka and the Blue Ridge Foundation New York. She has also produced interactive e-learning programs, including the award-winning What is a Leader program for the Harvard Business School's Publishing and Global Education Network. She holds a BA from Williams College and a Master's of Education uh, degree with a concentration in technology from Harvard University. She serves on the board of directors for JustGive.org and is what was named one of Business Week's 25 Most Promising Social entrepreneurs, welcome to the nonprofit coach today. And I, I think I'm still not getting your first name right, Dana Goldstein. 
It, it's Dana, um, and thank you, Ted. I'm very, very happy. Why to can't I say that right? Again. We even practiced it before the show today. Dana, right? Dana, yes. <laughs> thank you. Dana, okay, Dana. Thank you for forgiving me in that introduction, and thank you so much for joining us here on the Nonprofit Coach, The Green Show. So, Dana, tell us all about the work of Philantech. So, Philantech is a uh, B Corporation. I'm happy to talk about that a little bit, uh, and a company that provides an online uh, tech platform for nonprofits and foundations, for grant makers and grant seekers. Uh, what we're really working to do is to help nonprofits use technology well, uh, to achieve their missions, so to spend more of their resources on program and service delivery, fewer of their resources on repetitive administration processes. Uh, where that plays out for us is primarily in the grant space. Uh, so what our tool does for both grant makers and grant seekers is help them manage all facets of the grant administration process and do that in a web-based way so there's less paper production. I'm happy to, to walk through what the different facets of that are. Um, but essentially, we have a platform that connects nonprofits and uh, their funders or funders and their grantees, it works both ways, uh, to really help reduce the transaction costs of grants administration so that the programs and services that the grants are intended to fund uh, really get more support uh, in, in, in the process. So by way of uh, comparison, help me understand where you fit in the marketplace. Is, that, is your service similar to that of MicroEdge? It is similar to MicroEdge. Um, we differ from MicroEdge in, in a few ways. Uh, one is that all of our tools are completely web-based, uh, and MicroEdge is gradually moving in that direction. And for folks who may be on the, on the line who don't know, uh, MicroEdge is a provider of a grants management system, probably the oldest uh, grants management system around. Uh, those of us who are a little bit newer in the space have built native web-based applications as opposed to installed software. Um, but one of the things that we do that's really, really different uh, is that we provide tools not only for the grant makers, but for the grant seekers as well. And the main problem that we're really working to solve is that the Center for Effective Philanthropy uh, did a study that determined that 13% of every foundation grant dollar is spent on grants administration. So if you look at about 41, 42, 43 billion dollars awarded annually in grants by foundations, uh, that's nearly six billion dollars that is being spent on grants administration processes rather than on the programs and services that those grants are intended to fund. Uh, by providing tools uh, so this is for so for bo bottom line, this is also about efficiency and and moving the process into a more efficient online space. Absolutely, absolutely. So it has impact on the service delivery of the nonprofit organizations. Uh, but you know, MicroEdge is, is one of the, the software providers out there. Most foundations are not yet using online grant applications. Uh, so a fairly typical process with a foundation, particularly one that hasn't moved online, is they'll have an upcoming deadline for whatever grant process they have. Uh, they'll ask nonprofits to submit sometimes only one, but sometimes up to ten copies of grant proposals. So a lot of nonprofits that are seeking grants uh, are putting together uh, you know, large packets of information and then making ten copies that they then send to the funder so that the funder can distribute those copies to a review committee or to their board members uh, to, to aid in their decision-making process. Moving that process online obviously reduces all of that um, paper production. It makes the process more efficient as well, uh, but it's, it's uh, saving a large number of trees in the process. Okay, and it also provides uh, reporting uh, for after the grant is uh, is made? It does. So grants administration is very much an end-to-end -end process. It starts uh, when the, the funder, whether it's a foundation or another type of grant maker, uh, decides or, or has a, a pool of money that it wants to award for a given program or in a particular year. Um, some foundations, as you know, will accept unsolicited proposals, some won't. Uh, but from the moment that the initial contact is made or the initial outreach is made between the funder and the, the ultimate fundee, um, that's only the first stage of the process. Once the grant is uh, proposal is submitted, it's evaluated. Sometimes there's back and forth. The grant is awarded, and then, as you know, there uh, are reporting requirements that come along with that, sometimes a mid-year report and a year-end report, sometimes less frequent, sometimes more frequent. Um, our system manages all facets of that, not only for the grant maker, but for the grant seeker as well. So it's essentially two different but related portals 
depending on whether your view is as a grant maker or a grant seeker, you see all of the information that's relevant to your organization. Uh, the system helps you not only keep track of deadlines and contact, but actually uh, construct and aggregate all of the information that you need if you're a grant maker. It's facilitating the online application process, the review process, uh, and then the evaluation process. Uh, you know, a lot of grant makers are increasingly thinking about their own effectiveness as grant makers. One of the ways that they can measure that is by collecting information from their grantees to see what sort of impact their grants are having. Our system helps facilitate that process, uh, both in terms of collecting information and reports from grantees, but also then providing some analysis tools to help grant makers understand uh, their, their own effectiveness and the impact of their grant making. Now, help us understand the, the, the various uh, levels at which moving in this direction, both for nonprofits who um, are, are part, going to receive the grants, but also for the foundations that are utilizing uh, the tools, how does this tie into an overall uh, greening of the operation? Sure. So there, there are a couple of key facets of it. Um, the, the, the main components uh, in, in terms of playing into greening operations um, is in the reduction of, of paper production, as I, as I mentioned, um, you know, having multiple copies uh, that are submitted to funders, but also then uh, as proposals are submitted, as grants are awarded, um, both parties, both the grant maker and the grant seeker, are keeping paper copies of all of these files. By moving the whole process online, everything is in electronic form. Um, it both creates some institutional memory for the organization, but it also means that there just isn't a need to produce all of these paper copies and the multiple paper copies. Uh, it also facilitates having meetings and having collaboration that can happen virtually uh, as people are able to log into a singular system and get the same view of information. Uh, things like review committee meetings can happen remotely so people don't have to drive or fly across the country if they're you know, trustees of family foundations uh, to be in the same place to, uh, to have a review committee meeting. They can be looking at the same set of information online. They can submit their own reviews online. Uh, so it really streamlines not only uh, it streamlines the process, but also reduces uh, the obviously paper production, but it reduces the carbon footprint in terms of redu reduced travel as well. And just uh, sort of funny anecdotal um, story, I've actually heard this a number of times from grant makers that we've worked with as they're moving their processes online. Uh, when they have a deadline for a grant proposal that's, say, 5 o'clock on a Tuesday, uh, a lot of grant makers have had this experience of having a, a potential applicant realize the day of that they want to submit a grant proposal. Uh, they will put the proposal together but realize that they, they just don't have enough time to put it in the U.S. mail and have it arrive in time for the 5 o'clock deadline. So they'll jump in their car sometimes from several states away and uh, hand deliver the proposal to the grant maker. Uh, with an online process, you know, the, the, the submission process is virtually instantaneous. So meeting those deadlines can be a little bit easier if you're a nonprofit who tends to leave things for the last minute. Uh, but it also helps reduce the, the carbon footprint, both in terms of those kind of well, things. Not, not that I'm, anybody would ever leave something like that to the last minute. Of course not. That was completely hypothetical and certainly wouldn't apply really to anybody who may be listening. <laughs> uh, so um, what about uh, past documents? What, what about all of the, the paper and all of the the archiving of, uh, of, of information, does this also uh, provide for creating, you know, scannable copies and, and creating a, a, a more complete record, or is this sort of starts from the day that you start using it? It, it does provide that record as well. Um, obviously, the organization would need to have scanning uh, capability, you know, if you have paper copies that, that go back a number of years. Uh, as long as they're I mean, most I mean, that's pretty easy technology. So if they oh, were yeah. able to scan things into PDF documents, they can attach them to a record? They can. They can, and then really have the complete history uh, built into the system. It's, uh, one of the things that we're, we're finding increasingly is that there's actually a lot of turnover in development departments at nonprofits. Uh, so having those types of historical records stored in a centralized online format helps to create some institutional memory for the organization as well. So we definitely recommend that kind of backfilling of information once the uh, once the system is up and running. That's uh, that, that's terrific. Uh, so help help us understand uh, one of the other um, uh, important aspects of of working um, in, with uh, online services and documentation is security. Um, so what about the security of, of these systems? 
Absolutely. Uh, you know, as with, with any web-based system, there are some industry standards around having uh, security certificates, having uh, good password uh, protections, uh, never doing things like emailing passwords, that variety of things. So we, we meet industry standards around um, around all the you know kind of relevant security measures. Uh, as always, it's important not to do things like share passwords with other people. Uh, but the information that is in our system, like with any software as, as a service kind of solution, if you think about something like Salesforce.com uh, or a number of other software as a solution providers out there, it's a centralized uh, website and a centralized resource. But each information, each organization's uh, information is segmented so that uh, only the, or the, the organization only has access to its own information. No other organizations have access to that information. And, and, and but what what about the the uh, the warehousing of information? And because you're, this is this is totally in the cloud. This is this is not resident um, software that that's being hosted at the site. That's right. It is, it is completely in the cloud. Uh, one of the, the upsides there is that uh, there's nothing to maintain on any computers or any servers at the organization. Um, and, you know, we're, we have uh, a secure environment where our servers are located. Uh, we have routine backups. Uh, we have failover systems. So if anything goes um, horribly, horribly wrong, and I'm knocking wood here, but um, if something were to go horribly, horribly wrong, we have protections in place to ensure uh, against the loss of data. Um, that's not always true, particularly for smaller nonprofits that you know have have some IT infrastructure in place, but may not have um, a ton of IT infrastructure in place. You're, I mean, what you're talking about here is is sort of disaster planning, right? Disaster and recovery. Mm -hmm. um, so, so uh, one of the standards that, uh, regardless of whether or not your service was used or another, one of the standards that that should be measured is the extent of of that. Uh, backup and disaster and recovery plan. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, did, a, a good does your service um, provide uh, multiple backup, or are you backing up to one location? We are backing up to two different geographic locations. Uh, so you know, we, we've gone through multiple uh, scenarios and imagined what would happen if there were you know X natural disaster in one location. So we're, we're actually, uh, and I think probably most tech uh, providers do this. We we have um, backups in multiple locations and servers. And that's becoming more more of a of a standard uh, post Katrina, isn't it? Uh, there were a number of companies that. They had backup sites, but sadly they were all in the same state. Yes. Uh, so I think there are two things that have emerged on that front from Katrina. One is exactly as you say, having backup locations that are in a different physical location, um, but also just generally as a as a practice for for nonprofits as well as for businesses, um, having offsite storage. Uh, so even if you're storing data locally, if you're not working with us or working with one of the other providers uh, of an online grants management solution, if all of your files are in some um, file cabinet in your office and something happens to your office, uh, there's there's no recovering from that. So electronic copies of documents, uh, storing them off-site, having a backup tape that's stored off-site, uh, you know, even if you're not working with a, with a company that's providing services in the cloud, uh, providing, uh, using off-site storage and off-site backups and off-site uh, recovery mechanisms is a, a really good practice. And in, in doing that, what's the responsibility of, of the charity uh, to be a party to that, or is all of that uh, automatic? Um, in terms of our, our software? Yeah, in, well, specifically to your, your platform, but I want to make sure that all of our, our answers today are, are also speaking to industry standards, which, you know, hopefully you are exhibiting that, so it may be a conversation about your company, but um, are, are those kinds of services – um, expected to be automatic, or is there a lot of work on the part of the charity to actually affect that? Those, those varieties of services are expected to be automatic uh, for for companies that are are providing uh, hosted solutions to to nonprofits. Um, I would say that the onus on the nonprofits is to make sure that those practices are in place when you're evaluating a provider or even with companies that you're already working with. Uh, the other onus on the nonprofits is for whatever information isn't being stored, and whether it's grant information, donor information, uh, you know, mailing lists, anything else, uh, accounting records, whatever information uh, you're, isn't being stored with a third party 
um, provider, making sure that you do have uh, copies and, and the ability to access that information if you're not able to access your office for some reason. Right. Now, what kind of accounting services are typically built into a, a pro program like this, or is this just the grant management, so there isn't funds management in addition to the grant, the, the actual sort of paper application management? That, that varies uh, from provider to provider. Um, in terms of what, what we provide, um, we're, we're not an accounting package. Uh, we do provide the ability to convey financial information. So we did some research with the, the Irwin Institute a number of years ago about what information is typically conveyed between a funder and a fundee or an applicant in the application and reporting processes, and pretty much inevitably uh, budgetary information and organization budget and program budget is requested by the funder. So we have good tools for conveying that information. Um, typically, nonprofits are using uh, some third-party accounting software, sometimes using Excel sheets, depending on the, the, the size and complexity of the organization. Um, one thing that we do have on the uh, finance front is we've actually built a tool in to our grant maker product uh, that enables foundations that request financial statements from their applicants to do a fairly in-depth analysis of the financial health and stability of their organization. So we teamed up with a professor who was at Harvard at the time uh, to build a tool that, that provides a really in-depth look at uh, the organizations, not only their funding sources, uh, but their um, their liquidity, their debt servicing ability, uh, a lot of things that funders want to know about nonprofit organizations to identify how well they're performing financially, how stable they are financially. Um, and ideally, funders use this as an opportunity to identify where some of their grantees may need some additional uh, support if they look like they may be getting in trouble uh, or if they could use some technical assistance. And you can see that, that data uh, over time, depending on uh, how often uh, that organization is applying for a grant. Yes, absolutely. And uh, in other words, it keeps the historical information as well. It, it does, and uh, you know, funders can also use that to request updates. Uh, so, you know, if the, the the information transaction in the system happens at the front end of the process, uh, and this is true with all of the um, all grants management solutions. That the application process is one touch point between the funder and the um, and the grantee. The reporting process, uh, which can happen once over the life of a grant, or it can happen twice, or it can happen many more times, is another touch point and a great opportunity. Uh, almost everything that happens in a report harkens back to what the nonprofit said in the proposal. So we're requesting funds to do X, Y, and Z. We're looking for this amount of money. The reporting that happens on a six-month and 12-month basis, or however frequently each individual funder does it, uh, is largely asking the nonprofit, well, you said you were going to do this. How is it going? Uh, so there are multiple opportunities for funders to be able to collect that information from their applicants and, and view it over time. And, and that's customizable to the particular interests of the funding source. It is. Uh, so what, what our system does, uh, and, and you know, each foundation does things uh, slightly differently. There's a, a saying um, among folks who work with foundations: "This is not one foundation. He's not one foundation." Uh, so each foundation does like to do things slightly differently. Uh, we can customize the application process, the reporting process. Um, as do most grants management systems, to meet the individual needs of the particular funder. One of the things that we've done that's a little bit different is we know, we understand from the nonprofit's perspective and from the applicant's perspective that funders are frequently actually asking for very similar information. So we've created a mechanism in the technology. If I'm a development director at a nonprofit and I'm working on a grant application, if I see a question and I think, you know what, another funder has asked me this question before, I've answered it before, uh, I can click a button in the system that says find similar questions. I can see which of my funders have asked me that question before or asked me something that's similar to that question before. I can see how I've answered that question and if that response is appropriate for that funder, uh, I can click a button and automatically fill in that field. So that's part of how we're reducing the transaction cost, just reducing some of the facets of the application process that are a little bit repetitive for nonprofits, um, but at the same time meeting the specific needs of each individual funder that we work with. I want to thank you very much for that, and I, we're going to take just a very quick break, and then we'll be right back. When we come back, what I wanted to uh, ask you to help our audience uh, understand is what is a B corporation. We'll be right back. 
draw your attention to the nonprofit guide to going green. This has been called the definitive and practical go-to resource guide to help charities around the world become more green. The nonprofit guide to going green is your comprehensive learning tool to guide nonprofits and NGOs towards becoming greener. A desktop reference for any charitable organization to become greener, this essential book gives your organization the support it needs to take proactive steps to protect the environment while filling, uh, fulfilling your mission. It provides information on topics from purchasing to travel uh, to how to green your office. Timely and clearly written with contributions from experts around the world, the Nonprofit Guide to Going Green leads the way in helping charities in all countries meet this challenge. You can find the book at greennonprofits.org or amazon.com, and that's the Nonprofit Guide to Going Green. We're going to head right back over to the Nonprofit Coach, the special edition of The Green Show. In the past, we've uh, we've had uh, uh, shows specifically talking about uh, the uh, the new concept of what is a B corporation. Um, specifically, your firm uh, is a B corporation. Uh, could you give us a little bit of information for those that have uh, maybe missed the uh, the earlier podcast, the earlier show on what is a, a B corporation? Sure, I'd be happy to. And uh, Philantec is really proud to be a B Corporation. Uh, B Corporations are an emerging standard for certifying for-profit businesses that are socially and environmentally responsible. Uh, you know, there are a lot of companies out there that say that they're good companies, uh, but there's a, a, a fair bit of greenwashing around that. Organizations that say there's good companies, they're good companies, and they do good green environmental well, let, let me stop you right there, only because you used a, a phrase that I want to make sure everybody understands. Uh, what is greenwashing? So greenwashing is essentially uh, the, the, the notion of um, saying that uh, something is green, uh, and appealing to the desires of consumers who are looking for uh, green products, uh, but sort of painting with a, with a broad enough brush uh, that it doesn't ultimately have any real real meaning. So uh, greenwashing has just sort of become uh, a very broad term or, or saying that things are green. It has sort of lost meaning without having any sort of accountability, any way of really checking that an organization, whether it's a for-profit or a non-profit, um, really is meeting standards and actually putting good practices in place. It's, it's sort of the, the opposite of if it, if it uh, quacks like a duck and it walks like a duck. In fact, if something looks green, sometimes it might not be green. If it looks green or sounds green, you really need to make sure uh, that it is certified and that the actual processes are in place rather than just someone who has slapped on we're green. Absolutely. So, and sort of have a, the, the image in my mind of you know a, a, a rabbit that's wearing a duck bill. Uh, you know, the fact that it looks like a duck to some degree doesn't actually mean it is necessarily a duck. Right, so. right, right. Exactly. Uh, just for um, uh, for those of you who are listening today, um, we're gonna we are gonna talk a little bit uh, about what is a B corporation. But I did want to let uh, everyone know that uh, just about a year ago, interestingly. Uh, enough on February 8th, uh, Clint O'Brien was here on the uh, nonprofit coach. He's the vice president of business development at CARE2. Our topic was um, what is a B Corporation. That was on February 8th. You can find that in the archives at tedhart.com. Click on radio, um, and you'll be you'll be pleased to know that it is one of the most popular. Uh, podcasts on the nonprofit coach. Um, so tell us what is a B Corporation, and then I'd like to uh, uh, ask you to sort of reflect on uh, why would a show like that, a topic like that, be one of our highest rated? Great. Uh, so B Corporations, uh, B Corporations are for-profit businesses that are certified as socially and environmentally responsible businesses. They're certified by an organization that is a nonprofit itself that is based in Pennsylvania called B Lab. Uh, it's, there's a growing community of, of B corporations. Uh, the process of becoming a certified B corporation is actually, I think, uh, similar to the green nonprofit certification process. There is a, an assessment tool that was developed over a number of years and developed with a lot of input from leaders in the fields of both social and environmental responsibility 
to ensure that, uh, that for-profit organizations that are going through the certification process are actually putting into place good practices in terms of um, their social responsibility, but also their environmental responsibility. Um, some of the green practices that are assessed in the process are things like um, recycling and use of recycled materials, uh, local sourcing uh, to, to reduce the carbon footprint, um, other things to reduce carbon footprints like uh, policies to reduce corporate travel, so things that we do a lot here at Philantech. We do a lot of web-based meetings rather than doing face-to-face -face meetings so that we're not flying all over the country or driving all over the country. Um, other things that are assessed are things like telecommuting and teleworking practices. And a lot of these things, I think, are similar policies and practices to what nonprofits can put in place in, in greening their organizations. Uh, for for-profits for that pass the certification process, they then become a B corporation. So we're able to, we as a, as a for-profit are able to say, we say that we're a nice for-profit, but there's this third-party uh, vetting process that has said, not only do we just say that we have these good practices in place, uh, they, they've assessed that we do have those practices in place. And B Corporation, B Lab, uh, actually has a... Uh, a review process uh, every two years they review, I forget if it's 5 or 10 percent um, of the organizations that they've certified um, to, to really make sure that, you know, everything that you're saying you're doing is actually something that you're doing. So uh, it's a way to know that any company that's gone through the certification process really does have good uh, social and environmental practices in place. And, and doesn't it uh, doesn't it change sort of the bottom line not being the bottom line in terms of uh, investors and the expectations of a corporation? Um, it actually sets forth uh, in your charter um, that being a B corporation or a benefit corporation um, is different in terms of the bottom line bottom line outcomes. It does, um, and, and we draw a distinction between uh, B corporations and, and benefit corporations, um, and this goes a little bit outside my, my area of expertise, but B corporations are a certification process. Uh, in order to be a certified B corporation, you as a for-profit do have to change your organizing documents to explicitly say that uh, the managers and the operators of the company uh, can and, and should take into account things beyond the financial bottom line in terms of thinking about uh, social and environmental responsibility. Taking that one step further, uh, Maryland was actually the first state to pass benefit corporation legislation. Uh, Virginia is another, New Jersey is a third. There are a couple of others as well that are actually creating new types of companies that are benefit corporations. Benefit corporations, as recognized by those state laws, and I'm, I'm not a lawyer, so I won't, I won't, I don't even play one on TV. I won't pretend to play one on the on the radio. Um, but benefit corporations. Uh, that are structured in those states actually have to report on their social and environmental uh, outcomes to the state uh, on an annual basis. And it's really protection for those business owners who want to be socially and environmentally responsible for them to be able to, in a sense, push back uh, against any investors who say, you know, it's really only about maximizing the financial bottom line. Uh, benefit corporation legislation uh, gives business owners who are socially and environmentally responsible the protection to be able to say, well, look, we're a benefit corporation, so yes, we're trying to maximize our financial returns, um, but we're not doing it at the cost of our social and environmental returns, and in fact, we can actually prioritize the social and environmental returns as well. I, and I, th I think that is a, an important distinction, and it does say something uh, more and something different uh, about the companies. Uh, that we all do business with. My understanding is that there's 517 B corporations now covering over 60 different industries. Uh, so it certainly is um, a certification process that is growing uh, in its utilization and its importance. Absolutely. And the, the passing of state-level benefits corporation legislation is, is also growing. Uh, as I'm thinking about it, California actually I think is the most recent state to pass the benefit corporation legislation and a company that a lot of folks may, uh, may have heard of, Patagonia, uh, is one of the first corporations in California to jump on being a, a benefit corporation. And I think from their perspective, you know, they're well known as a socially and environmentally responsible company. And to say we're actually structuring ourselves uh, to really build that social and environmental responsibility into our corporate structure as well as into our, our ethos and our corporate DNA is a huge statement. And I think it's, it's an interesting, interesting trend in, in the, the social space. I, I think you, know, you asked why 
the the program with with Clint O'Brien from uh, from Care2 about B corporations may be one of the most popular, and I, I find it fascinating that it is. I think it's a sign that there's sort of an increasing, um, I guess I would say, uh, blurring or at least closeness of the for-profit and the non-profit worlds, which I think is a, is a wonderful thing. Uh, in, from the for-profit business perspective, you know, for-profit businesses historically have only been about making money. Uh, there's a cost to that. There's frequently a social and environmental cost to that. The emergence of things like B corporations, like L3Cs, like other forms of socially and environmentally responsible companies is a way for people who want to structure their businesses as for-profits for whatever reason to say we're not just about making money. Sure, we want to make money. We have shareholders who want us to make money. Um, but we are really dedicated to, to being a mission-driven organization as well as a financial bottom line-driven organization. Um, so so what, uh, what does become the bottom bottom line with uh, a company such as yours? And and b before uh, you know, I let it get away that you are maybe being a little bit uh, modest in that. Uh, not only are you a certified B corporation, but you're you're actually a founding B corporation. We are. We are. Uh, so the, becoming a B corporation was was pretty much a no brainer from my perspective. You know, when I, I founded Philantech. Uh, I seriously debated whether it should be a for-profit or a non-profit company. Uh, the reason that I started the company and the reason that we build the tools that, that we build is that we want to help nonprofits be as effective and as efficient as we can be, and we think there are good ways to use technology to do that. So, you know, for us, uh, making tons of money has never been the top priority. You know, I think there are very few people who object to making money, uh, but making money at the expense of uh, doing things that, that have social and environmental meaning is just, it was never something that, that came to mind for us. So becoming a B Corporation was a way of institutionalizing what we had sort of already institutionalized in terms of the ways that we structured the company, uh, in terms of our mission of really trying to help organizations as much as possible in the nonprofit sector through good uses of, of technology. Um, so I think there are increasing numbers of companies that are uh, they're being founded that are where the founders are thinking about things in those ways. And I think increasingly consumers want that. They want to know that the companies that they're doing business with are are actually doing good things, that particularly in an age where, uh, you know, Lehman Brothers, uh, other banks out there that or other organizations out there that have really been uh, – have been motivated purely by making money, there's an expense to that. There's a cost to that that I think a lot of people are seeing and feeling very acutely at the moment. Uh, so to be able it to sort of to uh, business, possibly left people are left in the wake of that as opposed to it being a true community benefit. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think community benefit is actually a, a great term. Uh, you know, one of the things that B corporations and, and L3Cs, and I, I'm not saying that being certified is the only way to go. There are lots of good companies out there that haven't necessarily gone through the certification process. Um, I'd certainly be happy to pitch them on why it's a good idea, but, uh, you know, it's not necessarily the right thing for, for every company. Um, but being evaluated on how companies actually really interact with their communities um, and not just are they philanthropic, being philanthropic is a wonderful thing, but organizations, you know, a company that is um, that has a lot of uh, really bad environmental byproducts, if they're dumping toxic waste but they give a lot of money to the local opera, it's great that they're giving a lot of money to the local opera, but people increasingly care about what are the core operations of this business and are they doing things in a way that actually creates some community benefit, both social and environmental in the communities in which they operate. And, and isn't that the the additional benefit brought by a certification process like green nonprofits uh, in that they then have the ability to show a body of work uh, to show that they have taken action um, as opposed to just making the statement. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I, as much as I would advocate the B Corp process for for-profits, I would advocate the green nonprofits process for, for nonprofits for two reasons. One is being able to point to a third party for certification. It's, it's an objective vetting process. You know, I can sit here and say Philantech is a great company. Um, if I don't actually have anything to back that up, you know, you may be, believe me because I'm a trustworthy person. Uh, you may not. Uh, but if I have something to back that up in the form of a third party that is objectively measuring an objective set of criteria, um, that provides a lot more credibility. Similarly, with the, with the green nonprofit certification, uh, another benefit, I think, of the B Corp 
process and going through what they call an impact assessment, which is uh, the, the same notion as, as going through the, um, the certification process to be a green nonprofit is, you know, if your organization isn't quite ready to become a B Corporation yet, or you're thinking about, the, or similarly not quite ready to become a certified green nonprofit, there are ways that you can learn about what some of the best practices are that will make you a green nonprofit, and you can start gradually putting those things in place so that you'll ultimately be ready to, to be certified down the road. Right, and that and that that process of of starting the dialogue, particularly internal to your organization, is it really is uh, one of the most important first steps, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely, and you know, frequently uh, it's it's one person within an organization, whether it's for profit or non profit, who is just a, a champion for things green. Uh, you know, it could be somebody who um, comes from an environmental organization and has that kind of background. It could be somebody who really has great uh, environmental practices in their personal life. It could just be somebody who really cares about the environment. Uh, one person being charged up about something and moving an organization can frequently be two two different things. So whether it's going through the B Corps process or going through the green nonprofits process, I think the first step is really understanding uh, where your organization is. I mean, the first step is, is wanting, to, wanting to change, wanting to be a responsible organization, wanting to be a green organization, and then figuring out where your organization is, what steps uh, need to be taken in order to get you from where you are now to where you want to be in terms of that, that third-party validation. But really more importantly, in terms of building in the practices internally uh, that will be consistent with your values and consistent with whatever um, environmental mission you may have um, as either a for-profit or a non-profit. Well, that, and let's let's talk about where values comes into this because you are saying that it, it's a, a, a fairly different value statement um, if you're um, uh, if, if you're moving in the direction of being a green nonprofit or a B corporation um, than simply uh, just even a successful organization. I, I think it is very much. Uh, you know, I think there are ways that organizations are, are measured and evaluated, and they're frequently external. Uh, you know, in the for-profit world, it's, you know, are you making a lot of money? Are your products well-liked? In the nonprofit world, it's are your services well-liked and well-used? Uh, you know, are you uh, sustainable in terms of financial sustainability? Um, you know, a lot of organizations that are doing really, really great work in the nonprofit sector uh, haven't necessarily taken that internal look to see what they're doing with their internal office practices, with their telecommuting practices, uh, with other things that can actually have an impact on their local economies. So I think it is um, definitely making a, a statement about uh, who, who you are as an organization, uh, what you want to be, the, the legacy that you want to have as an organization, how you want to be seen, but also really the ways that you want to be able to interact with your communities, and communities kind of broadly defined, uh, you know, in terms of your customer base, your constituents and your donors if you're a nonprofit, um, but the, your constituents may be different from the local community around your office or around wherever your operations are. Um, so really thinking kind of inclusively about uh, what kind of statement you want to make as an organization and fundamentally who you want to be as an organization. Um, and, and the message that that to your donors, your community, your, your board of directors, it, it sort of sets the stage for a broader discussion. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and that, that can start at any level in the organization. You know, if uh, frequently nonprofits um, will, will do things that are kind of mandated by the board or mandated by, mandated by a funder, uh, something like becoming a greener organization uh, can, can be started, can be initiated by really anybody in the organization who, who cares about it. And uh, there are some really good uh, practices in just thinking about how to move your organization through kind of an evolutionary process to get from, from where you are now to, to where you want to be. It's easier in some organizations than others. Um, and, and most people helps. would tell you that it probably does need an advocate. There needs to be someone who understands, um, listens to a show like this, understands what a company like yours is doing or, or a green nonprofit is, is doing and becomes an advocate for their own organization. Absolutely. So having an, uh, an advocate or a champion is, is absolutely a critical component, um, and particularly for uh, an organization of, of any size, having more than one champion or advocate is, is critically important as well. Uh, so that could be the, you know, the one person who listens to this show and has been listening to the show for a while and is really jazzed about greening their organization. 
uh, can sort of look around their organization and see who might be a, a, a likely ally, who else might be interested in starting to put some of these practices into place, and essentially try to recruit that person and get them on board with whatever greening initiatives you think that you may want to pursue with your organization. Um, the more that if you're uh, um, more uh, if you're at if you're not at a C level or you know an executive director level or a director level in your organization, trying to uh, get somebody on your side, trying to, to recruit a uh, an advocate who is somebody who's in a decision making position, uh, if you're not, is certainly certainly helpful. Uh, but also looking more informally to see who the other influencers are in your organization. You know, there there may be uh, Joe who tells great stories at the water cooler, and everybody will follow him to whatever he does. He may not have a position of formal authority in the organization, uh, but if people will listen to him, he's the kind of person that you want to get on your side. Um, if you're right, you you can be sort of the the catalyst, but then start finding people who can help you make your case. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, a- any sort of change uh, initiative that you're looking to undertake in an organization, whether it's – I talk a, a reasonable bit about um, change management for implementing new technology products, and ours, ours in particular, but more broadly as well. Uh, you know, greening your organization is also, to a degree, a change management process. And some of that is about trying to change individual behaviors if it's a, something as simple as – uh, you know, recycle your paper, uh, recycle the, the plastic and, and glass that you're using in the organization. Some of the changes that you're looking to implement may be much much broader than that. Uh, so really one of the first keys is actually understanding your organizational dynamic, how decisions are made, how change happens, how evolution happens, how policies and processes get put into place, really knowing who the key decision makers and key catalysts are in your organization. You may be one of those people, which is fantastic. You'll be in a great position to, to lead this type of initiative. If you're not, figure out who those people are and, and befriend them uh, and, and get them on your side. Yeah. We have a, a quick reminder for our listeners uh, today. And then when uh, when we come back, I was hoping that uh, we might take a couple moments for you to share with our listeners today uh, that uh, you did write a chapter about managing change for N10's Managing Technology to Meet Your Mission uh, book, and we were hoping that uh, you'll give us some insight into that chapter, and uh, we'll be right back. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. Now, it's certainly uh, here on this show, we're uh, keenly interested in the topic of managing technology uh, to meet your mission. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, your particular voice in N10's book? Sure, I'd be happy to, and, and I'll just take the opportunity to, to, to plug the book as well. Uh, it's a, a book called Managing Technology to Meet Your Mission that was uh, published, uh, was edited by Anten, uh, which is the, the kind of industry association for nonprofit technology, uh, published by Wiley in 2009, and there are some, some great voices in it. Um, the, the chapter that I wrote was specifically about managing change, and uh, I think it's actually really applicable to, to green initiatives as it is to technology, whether the green initiative has a, a technology component or not. Um, generally speaking, people don't like change. You know, we, we tend to not like it in our personal lives. We tend to not like it in our organizational lives. There are certainly some exceptions. Um, but particularly changes over which we don't feel like we have control uh, tend to, to meet with some resistance and meet with some anxiety. So there are some really good practices around, first of all, just understanding that uh, changes tend to be met with, with some anxiety and potentially some resistance. Uh, and to really be strategic in approaching whatever initiative it is that you're trying to affect in your organization, again, whether it's a green initiative, a technology initiative, um, or both, um, to understand who the individuals are in the organization, that any change within the organization may be an organizational change, but it's impacting those individuals. They may have very different reactions. Um, figuring out who your key allies are like, likely to be, uh, who may be resistant to the change for whatever reason. Uh, and uh, I, I like to talk about uh, four C's of leading a change initiative. Those four C's are credibility, uh, common ground for goals, a compelling case, and connecting emotionally. And, you know, what, to, to be able to successfully lead 
a change initiative, again, whether it's a tech change or a, a greening change in your organization, it helps to have some formal authority. If you're a board member, if you're an ED, if you're a vice president, uh, having some formal authority in your organization certainly helps. When you say to do things, people are a little bit more likely to listen. But it's not necessary to be an advocate for uh, things like green initiatives in your organizations. And there are ways that you can build your credibility, um, particularly if you're really uh, if you're really advocating for greening your organization. Start small, but uh, position yourself so that you're really a resource for other people who are interested in environmental things in your organization, uh, regardless of whether or not that's the, the, the mission that your organization is pursuing. Uh, really work on building your relationships within your organization. Uh, make sure that whatever it is that you're pursuing is really tied to your mission. And for, for nonprofits, that's of, of critical importance. Um, you know, nonprofits make so many decisions that are about, can I better meet the needs of my constituents? Can I support my donors? Uh, what is it that we're doing uh, in our daily activities uh, in implementing a new technology, whether it's a grants management system, a donor management system, um, whether it's a, you know SharePoint to, to share documents, whatever the case may be, the, the technology itself uh, has to be something that's in service of the organization's mission. Um, from a greening perspective, uh, looking at a green initiative that will help the organization, if there are things that can be directly tied to the organization's mission, that's that's fantastic. Um, but greening is, is a good unto itself uh, and a way to demonstrate to your donors that you care about the environment. It's a way to demonstrate to your constituents that you care about the community. Um, and it's a way, uh, generally speaking, to engage more positively. Um, with with whatever the mission is that you're trying to pursue as an organization. So, say uh, an executive director wanted to create change. Uh, that this is the direction they want to go in. They want the organization uh, to become more green. Um, is is it generally your 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 um, expectation? that the process is going to go through finding common ground and, and consensus on that topic or that you would advise executive directors who feel that this is the right thing to do um, should use their, um, their position um, to establish that goal? I, I almost never advocate for a, for a bully pulpit, but um, executive directors are definitely in more of a position to set direction. Uh, and, you know, in thinking about creating common ground, uh, the, the way that I like to think about common ground is not necessarily in terms of consensus building, um, but in two things. One is uh, giving people an opportunity to have a seat at the table so that people don't feel like change is sort of being forced down their throats, but they feel like their voice is heard. That's one of the key factors in helping to overcome some of the resistance and anxiety in any sort of change management process. So even if the decision has been made by the executive director, rather than sitting down at a staff meeting and saying, hey, we're doing this, sit down at a staff meeting and say, hey, we're thinking about this. Um, I would love to get input from all of you. Uh, and it's not necessarily practical to get input from everybody, so depending on the size of the organization and the processes in place, uh, maybe there's a committee that can be set up uh, so that everybody can talk to one person who can then convey that message to the ED. Um, the other facet of, of uh, common ground is really about understanding that whatever it is that you're pursuing, or really just understanding why you're pursuing whatever it is that you're pursuing, um, whether it's to become uh, a more uh, environmentally responsible organization, whether it's to find a facet of technology that can help you be more efficient in meeting your mission, clearly conveying that, this sort of the communicate early and often idea, uh, lets people know why you're making the decisions that you're making, helps to get them on board. Uh, one of the things that we find time and again when uh, people who are leading change get input from people around the organization is that people uh, in unexpected places may have the best ideas. Uh, so providing venues for somebody who may be, you know, kind of operating on the line and really working uh, with the, the end user or the, um, the constituents who are receiving the services, getting input from those, those folks can be a really amazing way to find out about what some of the needs of the organization are that the, the ED may actually not know. Um, so, so while you have the initiative and the idea, this may be the opportunity for you to learn more about uh, the creativity of your own team by opening the process up. Absolutely, and sometimes come up with, with great ideas, uh, sometimes come up with money-saving ideas, sometimes come up with better ways of doing things. Um, and at the very least, give people an opportunity to feel like their voices are being heard, uh, which really helps to create buy-in for the process. If I, as an employee, can feel like my opinion is valued and my opinion was valued before I was told what to do, 
um, it, it really helps engender buy-in. It also helps people just feel like they're respected by their organizations. Uh, so getting that, that kind of input relatively early in the process is a, is a great way to go. It's always amazing to me how fast uh, this show goes, and, you, and you've covered so much territory for us. Um, can you please make sure that uh, our listeners today know how to reach you? Oh, that would be wonderful. So the company is Philantech. Our URL is philantech.com. That's www.philantech.com. That's that's terrific. And, uh, and a phone number if uh, someone needs to call information. Sure. Uh, so our phone number is 888-PT-GRANT. So it's 888-784-7268. That's terrific. Thank you so much for being our guest here on the Nonprofit Coach, a special edition of The Green Show. All of our shows are podcast. Immediately following the show, over 70 podcasts are available at tedhart.com. Click on radio links, and we will have another special edition next month. The Nonprofit Coach is on hiatus uh, for two weeks, and then we'll be back uh, in its full Tuesday uh, session um, in early February. So thank you all for uh, joining us here on The Nonprofit Coach. We'll see you real soon. You've been listening to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Coach.